This is a Healthier Michigan podcast, episode 74. Coming up, we discuss ways our diet may be affecting our heart health. Welcome to a Healthier Michigan podcast. This podcast is dedicated to navigating how we can all improve our health and well-being through small healthy habits we can start implementing right now. I'm your host, Chuck Gatica, and every other week we sit down with a certified expert from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and we dive into topics that cover nutrition and fitness and a whole lot more. And on this episode, it's a good time to discuss heart health, which we'll get into because this is American Heart Month which means we should all be focused on doing good stuff, right? And as we know, diets will impact our heart health directly. And sometimes it's for the good, sometimes it's for the bad. With us today, registered dietitian for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Shanti Apala. Good to have you with us. Great to be back, Chuck. Well, you have made your way from your native Sweden through Tennessee, and you're just a passionate clinician in nutrition, public health. You're a teacher in your free time. I know you enjoy the outdoors, but we want to jump in here on talking about diets, because everywhere you go, it seems like you see stuff, whether it's the checkout line at the grocery store and it's on magazines, it's the latest diet to drop 10 pounds. You know what I mean? I mm-hmm. mean, we're just inundated with all these kinds of diets. So we live in this world where, and I used to make a joke back in the day, there were only a couple of diets. You know, I'm on two diets because I only get enough food with one. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's kind of funny, but when you think about it, I don't know about you, but for me, you know, I've gone on a low-carb, low-fat thing for 10 days, and it's like, oh, I'm, I lost half a pound. Maybe I should try keto, and then maybe I should try this thing. Mm-hmm. So talk us through this idea. Sometimes we fall into this trap of focusing on the final result, what that diet in the magazine or something tells us. What should we really be thinking about up front when it comes to diet? I think we need to start by just being realistic with ourselves. Mm. We need to think about the fact that we just can't lose 40 pounds in a healthy way in a month. There's just no way to do that. Yeah. And I think another important aspect of thinking about our health is that we may be happy with quick results, but what is it doing to our health in the long term? Because sometimes we might be damaging our health without us even feeling it to begin with. So I think a really good way to just think about it is to put yourself in the mindset where food is fuel. Food can also be something that you can enjoy. But really switching our mindset to we have to earn what we eat, that we have to exercise to earn what we're putting in our bodies. No, our bodies function and they deserve fuel to function. And so I think this diet culture, I really like that in the past couple of years, it's really been called to attention that we need to stop just thinking about quick fixes to get to the destination where we want. Because I'm going to say something really unpopular right now. Okay. But once we get to our end goal, we actually have to continue to work hard. Yeah. It's a lifelong process, isn't it? Yes. Yes. And that's why, you know, I'm not going to sound like a broken record. That's why we have to think of diets as a lifestyle change. We really do. Because once we get to our end results, that doesn't mean we can stop doing our hard work. Well, I know there's a growing effort even within the medical community, which I'm sure you're aware that, you know, we say lifestyle medicine now. There are a lot of physicians who are finally not just flying through the room and seeing and going, oh, you need to lose 15 pounds and just do this and, you know, jog a little bit. They're really dealing with this idea that you've got to change your lifestyle. And a key component of that is diet, right? It's what you put in your mouth. Absolutely. And what I've seen, too, from physicians is that 
physicians are doing a much better job at setting goals for patients that are realistic. Mm. And that's part of it. You know, if a physician tells you you need to lose 40 pounds, that can be extremely frustrating if you don't get to that point very soon. So if we can start with five pound increments and you're getting that kind of support from your physician, that's going to be much better in the long run. Otherwise, we kind of end up with this yo-yo diet. So I think it's the role of healthcare professionals who are supporting you in the process, but also the person that's losing weight to really think about being realistic. I knew a guy just a few years ago who went on a keto thing and, um, you know, I don't really relate to that. I've tried it in spurts or I try to add a little more of this or that. And this guy was one of the extremists, right? And so he's eating all this high fat stuff. A snack for him was like three giant long processed meat sticks, right? And he's dropping weight right before my eyes. Well, you come back about 90 days later. And the boomerang that came back on this guy. So it wasn't just that he was losing significant pounds. I mean, it was visible within a two weeks to a month. But there is this idea that when you're pointing out that we could drop weight too fast, there could be negative effects, maybe ignoring our overall health in the process, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really important with that, too, is that, you know, extremely restrictive diets like the keto diet tend to be that we spike back once we're kind of done, we've gotten to our end result or we're mm-hmm. we're wanting that thing that we've craved for so long. Yo-yo dieting can actually be strainful on our heart health. And I think that's something really important to remember. There's this really interesting study. I think it was posted in 2017. So four years ago now. But it was a really interesting study because they looked at about 10,000 people. And it was a retrospective study, so I should note that there's an association here, but there's not a cause and effect, right? But they looked at people who already had pre-existing heart conditions and saw those that fluctuated in weight more. So let's just say the average was 8.2 pounds versus those that fluctuated in weight with two pounds had double the mortality risk from heart-related things. So, you know, I I think there's a really big strain on our heart that happens. It can be due to inflammation. It can be due to cortisol levels. Researchers haven't really figured that out yet. uh, And I think the question's still out there, but there is some evidence to support that, you know, that yo-yo dieting can have an influence on your health. But that's not to discourage anyone from, you know, making lifestyle changes that are positive. It just means that we should really be thinking about how we're moving back and forth because it's always going to be helpful to start eating healthy regardless of what you've done in the past. Yeah. And when you say yo-yo diet, is that coming on and off a diet, particular diet, or is that switching diets or is it both really? You're just going on and off something all the time. It can mean both. So usually what it means is that you've lost a significant amount of weight and then you stop kind of that eating pattern and you regain that weight. And sometimes that might be more weight. Well, see, I can imagine that if you were on any one of these particular diets that are the high fat or high protein, and then you go to you know your nephew's birthday party and you eat a sliver of cake and that's what you know, triggers. I know I like birthday cake, you know, and all of a sudden you start adding back that stuff that you've been away from. That can lead to all kinds of new issues as well, huh? 
Yeah. And I think it just sets up that unhealthy relationship with food that we talked about in the very beginning. It's that, you know, we want to have that healthy relationship with food where we feel like we can have the foods that we enjoy, but also feel our bodies at the same time. Because if we start thinking about foods as evil, say it's the birthday cake, say it's something that you've been depriving yourself of for so long, if you've been doing low carb or keto, you know, we start to look at foods as bad and evil and good. And sometimes those foods aren't necessarily bad or evil. You know, I think what happens a lot of times with keto diet, for example, if we want to dive into that and heart health, if you kind of stop eating fruits and vegetables and legumes and grains, which oftentimes you have to because, you know, you're restricting your carbohydrate intake, you're kind of leaning towards other types of foods that sometimes aren't the healthiest for heart health. We think of processed foods. You were mentioned your friend with a meat stick. I mean, think about how much salt that contains and how much that salt can have an influence on blood pressure for some people. So I think it's just gets down to you can do a lot of different eating styles in healthy ways. And it comes down to making sure your body's getting the nutrients they need. Yeah. And you know, we're airing this particular episode mid-February. So for a lot of people, they're already past their New Year's resolution and maybe have fallen off the wagon. But it's never too late. And I'm always encouraged, while I don't particularly care for scales, you know, I'm always encouraged that this idea of a lifestyle change can lead to sanity. Because if you really do the math and you don't get freaked out that things aren't working as well as they could, that quarter to half pound a week, a half pound a week, keep the math simple, in 50 weeks, that's a 25-pound weight loss over an entire year. And I think, for me anyway, being type A, got to get her done. I want to know in two weeks, you know, if I lost three, four, five pounds, right? Yeah. Instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. It's really a healthful way to look at this. Like, well, it's okay. I lost 0.4 pounds on the scale this week. And you go, oh man, I worked all that way and changed my lifestyle and that's all. Yeah. But that's all over the course of a year. It's pretty impactful. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we focus on heart health, let's talk, and I don't know you want to shoot names out, but you can, good diets, the diets that we know of, pros and cons of some of the popular diets today, because there's still the egg diet, eating eggs all the time, or eat a lot of <laughs> apples, or, you know, drink water with lemon juice diet. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So a lot of those are way out somewhere else. But talk about pros and cons of diets we would recognize. Yeah. So... What U.S. News and World Report does each year is that they actually rank 40 diets that you might have heard of. So think of your DASH diet, Mediterranean diet, paleo, keto, mm -hmm. Whole30, all of those kind of buzzwords are in there. Now, what's interesting is that the paleo diet, the keto diet, Atkins and Whole30, they all were in the bottom five of that report this year. Really? Wow. And so this panel of experts actually puts this list together. They look at the research, they look at the evidence. And so I think, you know, like I was saying earlier, there are pros and cons to how you do each of these diets, but it was ranked one of the lowest ones in terms of heart health. Now, there are some pros that could lead to positive health changes in terms of keto diet with uh, heart health. And so there was a systematic review, and basically that's a collection of different studies. And so it looked at only randomized controlled trials, which is the gold standard for research. And so they looked at low-carb and low-fats diet and compared those in overweight and obese patients. And so they found that those low-carb diets actually were greater in terms of reducing your risk for heart disease than the low-fat diets. Now, I want to say that this study published in 2015 was actually only done over a year. 
they looked at only short-term studies. And the reason I mention that is because oftentimes with low-carb diets, they're not sustainable in the long term. So we might see some research pointing to the fact that, okay, we can see dramatic changes that are positive when we eat low-carb in this style, but there are also the other end. And of course, that's why Keto Diet received that low ranking this year. But it really points to the fact that we need to look at what's going to work for us. We need to kind of dive into some of these health components. And I can do that real quick. Yeah. When I look at someone's heart labs, and I'm just going to kind of go over the most basic ones here. I might look at triglycerides and cholesterol. Those are terms that many of us have heard of for going to our doctor's office. They're those kind of lipid labs that we're told by our physicians. Now, triglycerides, and this is one that is actually lowered very much with the keto diet and ones like that. It's a type of storage of the unused energy in our body. And typically what I would see whenever I was working in the clinical setting, if someone had extremely high triglycerides, it could have been influenced by some health conditions, but for the most part, it would be refined carbohydrates in excess. So I would maybe meet with a patient, their triglycerides were 500 and, you know, we'd like to see it under 150. And I might ask them some questions about what they're drinking in their regular life. And it might be, you know, something common would be like 11 cans of Mountain Dew a day. Yeah. Or lots of cookies or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Very anecdotal there with that example. But it is really true that (laughs) those refined carbohydrates and excess calories in general lead to higher triglycerides. And so the triglycerides, the reasons that those are bad is that they can actually contribute to our hardening of the arteries. And then that can, of course, uh, increase our risk for stroke and heart attack and heart disease, those kind of things. And so with the keto diet, we think, okay, well, we're cutting out all those excess carbohydrates. We're letting our body run off of fat storage. And that's exactly what triglycerides are, those fat storage. So that can be improved. And that's why some you know, health professionals point to the keto diet as being something successful for heart health. And then we also have cholesterol. This is a big buzzword because it's a marker for heart health. There are two different kinds. And I think that's what's really important here because we can't only look at overall cholesterol. We actually make cholesterol in our bodies ourselves. We don't need to eat cholesterol in order to live. And that's why vegetarians and vegans have that as a pro for them because we can only get dietary cholesterol from animal products. You cannot get it from plants. It's only made in animal products. And so the reason I say that is because what we eat in terms of cholesterol is not the only factor to what influences our cholesterol. Our cholesterol can be influenced by saturated fat intake, something that is quite high, actually, in diets like the keto diet. But if we get back to the different types of cholesterol here, we have LDL cholesterol. And I used to think of L as lousy because what it does is that it can, you know, make this kind of fatty buildup in our arteries and increase our risk for heart disease and things like that because it actually brings the cholesterol to our tissues. And so we don't want that. We want more of the HDL cholesterol. And we can think of H for happy because it takes the bad or the LDL cholesterol away from the arteries and then back to the liver and then it can get broken down and then also passed from the body. So we have all these different 
kind of players at stake, the different types of triglycerides, all these lipids in our bodies. And so there are different dietary factors that influence these. So we think about fiber, for example. Fiber can help lower our LDL cholesterol and it can help increase our HDL cholesterol. So it does two things that are really good for us there and can be really protective. And so when we dive into the keto diet, we also see that Well, if we're not eating fruits and vegetables, we're not eating whole grains, we're not eating legumes, where's our fiber coming from, right? Well, you raise it, and I don't think I've ever talked about this, What we're up to episode 74, and I'll give you a generalization. When you mention these clinicals, this this is something I've lived. So in the past two years, I went to a friend of mine who's a doctor, a metabolic specialist, and I said, I just can't flip the switch when it comes to losing a few pounds. And he said, here's what I want you to do. It's a lifestyle change, so I'm with you there. And he said, I want you to concentrate on more plant-based diet, basically Mediterranean. I did not become a vegan. I'm not really a vegetarian. I still have fish. I'd have small portions of meat. So here's what happened. I started doing, it's specific to me, more oatmeal in the morning with blueberries. I'm doing more black beans at lunch with hummus for my protein, but I'm still getting the fiber, right? So I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm adding this stuff that we intellectually may know In six months' time, from my first panel of clinical blood work to six months later, he calls me and he said, do you know every category has dropped? And he just starts rattling off. Your chance of stroke has dropped 30%. The size of the pillows of your cholesterol has gone down, whatever that means. Every single category. And I wasn't in bad shape. I don't have diabetes. I, I don't have high cholesterol. In six months' time, everything was affected internally for me. And I thought, wow, that just goes to show you It may not be a day, but six months later, there was a dramatic impact of, you know, checking under the hood, (laughs) if you will, that it actually worked. And I thought, so that's kind of the diet that I maintain to this day. Well, Chuck, you might not want to pat yourself on the back, but I want to pat you for that one because there's so many benefits to that plant-based diet that you're talking about that goes beyond those markers, you know, when we're thinking about our lab values, because they contain antioxidants and phytochemicals and The role of phytochemicals are kind of still up in the air. There are like 5,000 of them in our diet. A tomato, for example, can have about 100. So there are so many different kinds. And the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the more you get. But they can have protective factors towards, you know, stroke and heart attack and things like that. Yeah. But another really interesting thing that I think about antioxidants, and again, we find that in a lot of fruits and vegetables, some that are very much restricted in these low-carb diets, is that our body goes through so many different processes every day. Like, I can't even fathom, I can't even wrap my brain around what goes on in our bodies every day. But part of those processes is that they need oxygen. So what happens sometimes is that these free radicals can form whenever there are unbound electrons. And so they're just kind of floating around ready to bind to something. And if they do that, they can actually cause damage. Now, with antioxidants, they actually deactivate these free radicals because they bind to them. Mm. And so they can prevent that damage from happening. And so, you know, we've seen... Vitamin C being a really good one, beta carotene, you find that in, you know, those red and orange fruits and vegetables, vitamin E and things like that. So, you know, I think when we think about and consider jumping into a diet, we want to make sure that we're also getting the nutrients we need because 
all of our health is not only what's on the scale. It's so important to think about those other nutrients too, to make our bodies feel good and actually work well in the long run too, because not only does these, you know, antioxidants and phytochemicals do so well in terms of heart health, but they can also reduce our risk for type two diabetes and many different types of cancer. So it's just multiple folds there. And we've talked about in the past on this very podcast multiple times the idea that heart health equals sign brain health. I mean, it's not just that you're seeing this idea that it's affecting multiple systems in your body if you're doing what's right for heart health. So that may be the lead story, but man, we're doing good for the rest of our bodies in so many different ways. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you're so right. Heart disease and type 2 diabetes especially are very linked. Yeah. And so whatever we can do that's good for heart health is good for diabetes too. And we think too, I mean, if we want to make this kind of change and start eating more plant-based or incorporating more fruits and vegetables and legumes, like you were saying, black beans for lunch and your hummus, Mm -hmm. it's helpful for the whole family. It's not like an adult only type eating style. It's something that would be beneficial for your children, for anyone who's around you. So I think that's something really important to think about too. Well, can I tell you in a funny way, I influence my wife. I've also got an app on my phone where I track my food. It's the Lose It app. You know, you can download it for free. And we used to go to a restaurant back, you know, in the old days when you did that. And I would track, you know, I'd input fish and I'd input my salad. And I was honest. I still am. It's my accountability partner. My wife looked at me And she said, what are you tracking your food all the time for? And now this is a woman who has no trouble. She could eat six Cinnabons and lose two pounds. I mean, it drives me nuts, right? And eventually, after I started doing this, it influenced her behavior. And all of a sudden, I see her starting to enter food, a person who really doesn't necessarily need it. And now we're eating healthier because of my journey. So I just want to encourage anybody who's thinking about making this shift for their own heart American Heart Month also affects, you know, your partner, your spouse, your kids, as you point out, grandma, grandpa, you know, it affects everybody. And you may be that one person that turns out to be the influencer, which is kind of cool to think about. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, people can look to those who have had those real world examples as someone to follow too, because I mean, you had those tried and true examples of going to your doctor and coming back six months later. I mean, you're an example of that. And I think that speaks volumes too. So I want to talk about someone who's listening who thinks, okay, I'm all in. They went down the path. (laughs) And, you know, let me pat you on the back because you said, you know, there are millions of systems or something and you may not know it. After listening to your description, I bet you you could explain every one of them. So that's really cool because I love going down that path of all the technical stuff. But if someone's listening and they're going, you know what, this is it. It's Valentine's Day is coming. It's American Heart Month. I want to get in on a lifestyle change. Don't we also have to use the word balance in here? It's one thing to start to change, but you could still have a cookie. You could still every once in a while go to the birthday party, right? This isn't about just getting rid of everything and and hoping and praying it doesn't come back at you because it's going to. You'll be tempted. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually part of kind of reducing those temptations is going to be allowing yourself to indulge once in a while. And I've really started kind of spreading that message because I think what happens a lot of times is that, you know, we try to come up with healthier alternatives to things, which I think is great, by the way, you know, finding ways to include less sugar and saturated fat in a lot of dishes. But sometimes there are just those foods that you love For example, it's Valentine's Day. Maybe you have a special chocolate treat or maybe, you know, Punchki Day is this month. Maybe you want to have your special Punchki. And (laughs) 
that's totally okay. But it is, you know, it does become that thing where we have to just consider where it becomes overboard. So that's where mindfulness comes in. And I think that's a really important tool in introducing lifestyle changes is letting yourself indulge, but really being present in the moment that you're indulging so that you can get all of the enjoyment out of it. Because, you know, if we're kind of eating our punchki, let's say, and we're sitting in front of the TV and it's gone in two minutes, we might want another one because we didn't get the opportunity to enjoy it there in the first place. So that's really an important part of it. And I want to kind of erase everything where you feel that, okay, I'm having a punchki, I have to do an hour on the stair stepper, right? We don't have to earn our food. We don't have to earn what we're putting into our bodies, but it is helpful, of course. And exercise is going to always be part of being successful in terms of heart health and keeping your weight off and just being healthy in the overall scheme of things. Well, being self-aware may also begin at how much of the stuff you're buying. I mean, if you come home with a dozen punchkeys and it's just you and your wife or something, I mean, maybe that's uh, not the right amount to bring home to begin with. I just know that if I have a dozen laying around, you know, I'm an old radio and TV guy. I'll eat a six-day-old donut if it's in the box. It's just the way newsrooms work, you know. Yeah, it's looking at you. It's ready to be eaten. <laughs> right. It's got my name on it, you know, for days. Hello. <laughs> so I think part of that self-awareness is maybe not bringing home the giant double-stuffed Oreos to begin with. And the other thing that I noticed, and I know this, it can't just be my issue. When you're measuring out food, especially something like peanut butter or whatever it is, when you go, oh yeah, that looks like a tablespoon to me. I think it's kind of amazing when you start tracking food and paying attention and you become aware of portion control. You're like, no, that really looks like three tablespoons, you know? You can really go haywire there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think you point to a few really important concepts there. And one is planning. You know, especially during this pandemic, especially you know, working from home and things like that, it can be really tempting to just eat out of the bag, go for all the convenient snacks, because of course they're convenient. Yeah. And I just like to remind people, you know, that planning is a big part of grocery shopping, especially when it comes to snacks. You know, if you can make the healthy choice, the easy choice, that's always going to set you up for success. Because if all you have in the pantry are packaged goods that are so easy to grab and just eat, we want to make sure that healthy foods like snacking on, you know, I've been making air fried chickpeas lately. And I used to not like chickpeas, but I made them in the air fryer and they were crunchy. And I'm like, man, this is delicious. Are they? Are they good? Yes. Oh my goodness, Chuck. I put them on a salad and I was like, well, I guess I don't need croutons anymore because this is crispy and it's my protein and this is amazing. But, you know, it really points to Having snacks like that on hand and maybe in the beginning of the week, you cut up a bunch of cucumbers and peppers and you have some baby carrots on hand. It's going to be so much easier to gravitate towards those foods because they're ready for you to eat. You know, it's taken the edge off for me, blueberries, and I know that they're in and out of season in Michigan when they're in. They're just great when they're local. But even so, you can get them all the time. And for me, grabbing two handfuls, you know, even in the morning on my yogurt, low-fat yogurt or zero, triple zero, it's just the best go-to snack because I'm getting a little touch of sweet and I don't know 16 calories for a couple tablespoons and it's like man it's just it's kind of like chickpeas to me it's just that they're moist (laughs) I can take all the all the water out but that's that's a good one I'm going to try that because I obviously I like hummus I've mentioned it a couple times but the chickpea on salads that's an awesome idea so you talked about the downside to some diets I don't know if I didn't let you finish or we didn't get there but I really want to hear the headline so when you look at that list 
of all these peer-reviewed diets, the ones that are arriving at the top again, refresh our memory there. Is it Mediterranean and DASH? Are they kind of toward the top or they are the top? Yes. Those are the two top for best diets overall. And they actually tied for the top heart health diet. And so the DASH diet, what's interesting about that one is that it's specifically designed, it's in the name, to prevent hypertension. So it's dietary approaches to stop hypertension. And what's cool about this one is you don't actually count calories, though, like you were saying, it can really help you keep yourself accountable if you're measuring and keeping track of things. But then there's also the Mediterranean diet, and both are going to be very heavy in eating fruits and vegetables, whole grains, legumes. It's really all those kind of foods that you've always been told to eat. (laughs) Yeah, You know, I think that's really funny. It's like there's not really anything super new to this. It's just healthy foods because they're going to give us good nutrients. But, you know, with the DASH diet, what I like about that is that it's, you know, limited in some of those processed foods because oftentimes if we eat diets that are extremely restrictive, we oftentimes maybe don't want to go into the preparation of some of the foods we have to make. I know that I did Whole3 before. It's Whole30, but I did it for three days because one of my approaches to working as a clinician was always, I need to understand what someone goes through if I'm going to be able to counsel them on something like the Whole30. So I did Whole3. And I will tell you what, Chuck, like that was, (laughs) it was so much work, so many dishes, (laughs) to make Mm. all of this food (laughs) that like only had limited ingredients because everything had to be fresh. But then there are also foods that are available to you in the grocery stores that are prepackaged and they're ready. They say keto on the label. They maybe say Whole30 friendly and they're so tempting to eat. But then we end up with that highly processed food. And so what I really like about the DASH diet is that, you know, it kind of encourages you not to eat those highly processed foods. And mm-hmm. of course, they're high in sodium. And that's one of the goals of this diet is to stop hypertension. Yeah. And I think that was the origination of it, right? It was more hypertension related and reducing that. And now there's a newer version I've seen. I don't know if it's originated at Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or they're in cahoots, but it's the MIND diet, mm. M-I-N-D. And it's a little bit of the Mediterranean and DASH converge, but with more concentration on berries and nuts. And you can have a little bit of wine. So it's very similar, and it's probably going to start to show up in the research. But what I find interesting about those diets, if you look at the Blue Zones book and that whole idea of where are people living to 100 or more and they're still active and well, you know, you see Sardinia and you see Okinawa and you see these places and you look at their diets where people are living long and having a long health span as well as a lifespan, Mm -hmm. they're basically on the Mediterranean or DASH diet. It's kind of the way it rolls, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing, too, that just would help anyone kind of get introduced to some of these things is just getting excited about being in the kitchen or finding something that works for you as a solution. So like maybe there's those, you know, meal delivery kits or kind of where you have pre-prepared ingredients and it's easy to follow. Whatever you need to do to make it easier for yourself, but just kind of get inspired and and make it fun. Like I like to plan out a couple special meals a week that are healthy but also fun that I can look forward to and trying something new because trying something new excites me. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe there's a silver lining in the period of time we're coming out of where more people started by force and default having to do things in the kitchen and they involve their kids and they, you know, they all kind of got into it. And maybe that's one place we shouldn't look at letting that trend go away. 
that as we come out of the time we're in, staying in the kitchen, cooking healthy, adding more broccoli or chickpeas, whatever it is, is really an upside to this. And so for me, I'm finding that we're doing a lot more fresh cooking and a lot more stuff that we're prepping. And it's not that hard. It really isn't that hard to cut up a pepper. It seems like it before you do it, but you know, it's not that hard. Yeah. And like for me, for example, used to not be a huge broccoli fan, used to not be a huge chickpea fan, but sometimes it's just in the way that they're prepared. So you might be that kind of person. You're like, I will not touch this dish. But if you have it made in a different way, you might end up liking it. It's like what I tell kids. This is not based in science whatsoever, but (laughs) hey, you might not like broccoli, but you could grow a taste bud for it. But, you know, it kind of goes for us as adults, too. We may just not have tried something in the way that we like it or, you know, have been exposed to it long enough. Cauliflower under the broiler with a little olive oil and Parmesan. Oh, my gosh. It's just Brussels sprouts. I used to just think, oh, that's a mini cabbage. There's just no way. I mean, I'm and same Chuck, thing. Put them. yes. Oh, they're awesome now. I love them. Yes, I'm glad you said broiler because that's the key to some of those like sulfury containing vegetables that often get soggy and they smell bad like broccoli, <laughs> like cauliflower and, and, you know, Brussels sprouts. Yeah. It's so much better if you expose them to really high temperatures for shorter amount of time because they bring out those sweet, nutty flavors. So you're absolutely right. Have I not noticed that broccoli has a smell if you boil it? Is that what you... Really? Does it smell <laughs> bad? I don't know. I just think of it as... I put it in an omelet once in a while, but I don't know if I ever smell it. That's interesting. Yeah. I, someone once told me I have the nose of a hound dog, so I'm not sure, Chuck. <laughs> well, there you go. That's another <laughs> skill you can add to your resume. That's awesome. So what's your takeaway from our time together today? Because we've really gone down a lot, but you know, our focus has tried to stay on on this idea that we're in American Heart Month and we're focused on that for so many reasons. Yeah, you know, Chuck, I think that something really important to remember is that you've never ruined your health by the way you've been eating in your life and that there are small things that we can do every day to improve our heart health, whether that is taking a walk just to get our hearts pumping around the neighborhood, whether that is just eating one more fruit or vegetable that day or trying one new food that's heart healthy. There's so many different ways. And of course, there's that exercise component. And one of my personal goals this year is to reduce my resting heart rate. And so I want to work hard on just kind of getting out there and improving my running speed and how I feel when I move around. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can start working towards your heart health that may be different for everyone. Yeah, and we do have a lot of resources there with previous podcasts, as you know, everything from exercise to mindfulness. And, uh, you know, part of this is self-image issues, you know, you're looking in the mirror. And I just want to encourage everybody, we're all diamonds in the rough, right? We're all trying to work toward perfection. We probably won't get there in this life anyway. And so just take it easy on yourself. That's great advice to to not beat yourself up and for all of us to have a goal, but just take it slow. It'll, it'll work out. It's the long haul, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up after that cookie. It's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Shanti, it's a joy. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you, Chuck. Shanti Appala from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. And we're glad you've been here listening to a Healthier Michigan podcast brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. If you like the show, you want to know more and check out all these previous episodes. We've got some on heart health, brain health, exercise, nutrition, mindfulness. It all fits right in there. I mean, lots of great stuff. Check us out 
Facebook at ahealthiermichigan.org slash podcast. You can leave reviews or ratings on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Great episodes there you can take with you on your walk. I know it's a little chilly around the edges, but if you've got your smartphone, even at home with a tablet, you can listen. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This month especially, you know, with your Valentine in mind, you in mind, it's American Heart Month. Take good care of yourself and get started. Change can happen. I'm Chuck Adica. Be well.